Good morning, everybody. I am alive. And so are all of us. And I just want to apologize firsthand. Patrick said it, but I really want to just apologize for the musty smell. We have been here since Friday night. We have stayed the night in this building, and it has been awesome. And I just want to say thank you so much for all the people who have supported and helped make this weekend happen. Uh, thank you so much for all those that provided food that came and stayed with us, uh, that just came and supported Supernanza. Because it feels like it was just a couple minutes ago, I was laying in my bed on Friday night like, I can't believe this is about to happen. And now we are here, and it's over, and it was an awesome, awesome weekend. But one of my reflections that I just have from this week, and the thing that I'm really going to try to do this morning is try to have y'all be able to have a little glimpse of what we did this weekend. I want you to be able to somewhat leave here and be like, well, I kind of, you know, got to experience Supernanza without staying up until like 3 o'clock in the morning and not getting to sleep and sleeping on the floor. So y'all kind of get the glamour treatment of Supernanza this morning. But one thing I was thinking about all morning after Supernanza, because we have young men and young women that are here from Iowa. We have young men and young women from South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin. We had 42 kids here this weekend. But as I was thinking about it, I just started thinking and was reflecting back when I was at Harding and I had just made my decision that I was going to accept this job and I was going to come here because people told me, they were like, you have no idea what the church is like up in Minnesota. It's way smaller. You have no idea what you're getting yourself into. You need to stay in the south. It's going to be way easier. But our future looks great. They are wrong. Look at the future that you have right here in Minnesota. It makes me emotional just thinking about it. But seriously, these young men and women are the future of the world. And one day they are going to graduate from high school and they're going to go all across the world and make a huge impact. And we need to be praying for these kids. We need to be pouring into these kids and showing them the way of Jesus so that they can go make a huge impact one day. Because the world's wrong. Minnesota, the Midwest, is in great hands right here at the future. And this church is healthy, and it's awesome, and they are wrong. I'm so blessed to be able to come and be a part of this. It's, it's, just, it's so awesome. But, so, Supernanza 2022. The theme this year is what, guys? Let everybody know. What was the theme? Weirdos for Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? You know, some of you might be sitting there, and I know that they are. I know the stigma of being a youth minister, that it's like just another one of those cringy youth minister things. Weirdos for Christ. Nobody's looking at that like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. But when we think about the word weirdo, 
Have you ever been called a weirdo? Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be called a weirdo today. Nobody has ever said, I'm going to thrive today to be a weirdo. I can think of some things off just the top of my head that I have been called a weirdo for. Here's one of them. When I watch TV shows or movies, especially a really long series, I look up the ending like super quick and then watch it. That's weird. People don't like watching shows with me. Newsflash. We used to watch shows all the time in my house in college, and they almost just didn't even let me watch series with them. Because I look up the ending. I can't handle the anticipation. I want to know who ends up together. I want to know, know who dies. It just bothers me. I can't wait. Okay? I just can't wait. Uh, some people think I'm weird because I'm a Cowboys fan. I want to be honest. It is kind of weird. Uh, we haven't done the best since I've been alive. <laughs> but we still have five Super Bowls, and that's five more than the Vikings. So that's just the truth. So who, hey, who's really weird? You know what I mean? Who's really weird? And, you know, there's just, there might be some other things that I can think of, but when I really think of a weirdo, there's one guy that really comes to mind, and it is this guy. <laughs> This guy is a weirdo, and I could go on and on, and I feel even worse saying this when it, it's literally his anniversary. <laughs> like, this is pretty low, this is pretty shallow, and I could go on and on about Steve, too. That's just, I don't think I can even say the things about Steve up here today. But, did you know that Patrick doesn't like sauce? I said that right, sauce, ketchup, mustard, mayonnaise seafood, other things. He has a weird palate. It's hard to go and eat with this guy. He has weird palate. He is a weirdo. But we're not just going to be up here today talking about what is a weirdo. Because there's a little thing at the end. We're going to be talking about what is a weirdo for Christ. And I have a little definition that I wanted to share that we came up with for this weekend, and it is a weirdo for Christ. And if you look at the back of the shirt and all these bananas sitting in the middle, the back of the shirt, the description says, a Christian whose love for Jesus seems strange or eccentric. Being a Christian today, loving Jesus, it's a pretty weird thing. It's a pretty weird thing. These Young adults are weird. They stayed over the weekend. They blew off their friends from school. They drove miles upon miles to come and worship Jesus and build a better relationship with God. That's weird. You're not going to leave these doors, go walk down the street, wear this shirt, and anybody be like, those are some normal people. They are awesome. It is weird. And there's a couple of verses that we can look at to really dissect this idea of being a weirdo for Christ. And the first one is Romans 12, 2. And this is where kind of the definition came from, are these two verses. And it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we got one other one that we're going to look at. And this one's a little bit more 
harsh. And it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Pretty awesome verse. Pretty straightforward. Tough one to share. But the truth is we can't love the world and love God. Okay? We can't have the double personality thing going on. I've been guilty of it. We've all been guilty of it. But the thing that we are going to look at today is what it means to be a weirdo for Christ. And there's two things that I think that I came up with, two reasons why I believe it is essential for us to be countercultural, for us to be weirdos for Christ. For us to be proud of our heritage, for us to be proud of being a Christian, regardless of what the world is telling us and regardless of how we are treated by the people around us. And the first thing is that Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. We, we're going to look at... How the world is a lie. But the truth is that Jesus is the truth. Jesus is a weirdo. I think, you know, we're, a lot of us are Christians in here. A lot of us know Jesus. So it doesn't really affect us in the way that we really think about Jesus as how weird he truly was during this time. The dude was weird. He didn't have a home. He didn't go and do things with everybody else. He was different. He did things that were counter to culture. And here's a big example of how Jesus was weird. And I really want you to try to put yourself in his shoes and tell me what you think you would do. Okay? And the verse is going to be right up here. In Matthew 26, 53, it says, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus came, and he died on the cross for all of our sins. He allowed himself to go through one of the worst deaths that we could possibly think of for our sake. But this verse captures it so well, and if you're looking at that picture and you're wondering why, it's because this is King Jesus. This is what he could have been. This is what Jesus could have been. He could have been a king. If you're telling me right now that if you had the power to do what Jesus could have done, you wouldn't have done it, I think you're a liar. He knew what he was about to go through. He knew he was about to be killed. He was sitting in the garden praying, God, please take this from me. This is going to be bad. Please find me a way out of this. But he still allowed himself to die. He could have sent legions of angels down onto earth, kill all the Romans, and have an army he could have had himself put up as a king of the world with everybody serving him, and he could have just ended it right, there, right then and there. He could have had, in our eyes, the perfect life on earth. So I really want you to think about that. Jesus was a weirdo. 
And that's one reason why we should want to be a weirdo. But Jesus also taught about being a weirdo. And I could go on and on and talk about all the different things that makes Jesus a weirdo on through the Bible, through the example of his life. But I believe that there is one passage, one chapter in the Bible. And it's almost like known as like the countercultural verse chapter of the whole Bible because that's what it is all about. And that's going to be in Mark chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your phone, whatever it is, I really encourage you to look up Mark chapter 10 because we're not going to be able to read through that whole chapter this morning. But it just goes boom, 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 boom all throughout talking about how countercultural Jesus is. It opens up with him talking about divorce. And during this time, you know, you could be divorced for any reason. And Jesus says, but we see here that the world allowed for divorce for any reason. Yet Jesus taught against it. It's the first example we see right here. Jesus is starting off hot. He is already being countercultural and he is already stepping on people's shoes. And he's already being a weirdo by the way that he teaches. We go back through. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, talks about that the world devalued children during this time. I know that might be like a little bit weirder for us to think about, but they didn't really contribute anything to society. There's not much that the youth could do for society. They didn't get to go have a job. They didn't really provide. They were children. They didn't get the attention that we give children today. They looked at them as, you know, once you get older, you're going to be able to help us, help out society. But the world devalued children and did not think they were worth an adult's time. Yet Jesus taught to be like them. Jesus taught to be like children. So there's two, two countercultural examples of his teachings right here in Mark chapter 10. And we're going to keep going and look at the rest. In Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31, it talks about the young, rich ruler. And this is very similar to the world that we live in today. The world valued wealth and status. They said that is the most important thing. It is important to have people serving you. It is important for you to have as much as you can so you can be as powerful as you can and have as much status as you possibly can. What did Jesus say? Go sell everything you have. Go sell everything you have. The world valued wealth. Jesus valued sacrificial service to others. Mark chapter 10, 35 through 45, we keep seeing this. We see James and John as disciples. And they're like, hey, Jesus, what do we have to do To sit at your right hand up in heaven. What do we got to do to be the most powerful people in the world up there? Right under you. We want to have it good. We don't just want heaven. We want heaven. Right? He says, what are you you doing? The world valued power. Still does. They want power. They want people to look up to them. Jesus said to love others and be like a servant. 
the last will be first. That's what he says in Mark 10. And the last thing we're going to look about in Mark chapter 10 is that he heals a blind beggar. And I think this is one of the best examples and one of the coolest examples for us to look at here in Mark chapter 10 about Jesus teaching and even being an example of a weirdo. This blind beggar in Mark chapter 10 was just calling on Jesus' name. He just wanted Jesus. He just wanted to be healed. He believed. He had faith that Jesus would heal him. And he's yelling at Jesus and they go, you're not worth Jesus' time. You're not worth Jesus' time. Shut up. He's got better things to do than talk to you. But Jesus loved who he wasn't supposed to love. Jesus loved who he wasn't supposed to love. The world devalued this man. The world devalued this man, but Jesus loved him and Jesus healed him. Jesus was a weirdo. We look through Mark chapter 10, and that's the first thing. Jesus is the truth. He taught about being countercultural. Jesus loved who he wasn't supposed to love. He taught what he wasn't supposed to teach. He didn't have a house. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He didn't get himself stuff. He didn't get lifted up with angels up into heaven. He didn't rule the world from a throne. He was a weirdo and did what nobody else was doing. And because of him being a weirdo, we all have something called grace. And we all have a ticket to go and live in heaven. So, that first point was that Jesus is the truth. And, you know, it's kind of weird. You know, we're structuring this sermon. You know, we, I'll admit it, we have a couple of professionals here. Steve, Patrick. And we were talking, you know, and we were like looking and we were like, ah, you know, Jesus is the truth should probably be the last point. But it's a little bit different. And the second point, why? You should be a weirdo. Is because the world lies. The world is going to lie to you. For now, forever, till the day that you die, the world is going to fill your head with lies. And it is going to never make you happy. We got a picture up here that I want to show. Because this is almost what the world is telling you. I don't know if you watch Marvel. I don't know if you watch Avengers. I actually still haven't even watched Endgame, if I'm being serious, which is pretty crazy, I will admit. I don't have the attention span to sit down and watch a movie for three hours. It's just the truth. If you know me, you know that's true. But right here it's saying reality can be whatever I want. Thor, what? Uh, Thanos. I think that kind of sounded like. But the, world, <laughs> but the world tells you these lies. 
Because I think that one of the biggest lies that the world tells us today and tells our youth, our young men and women, is that you are good enough. That, what, where is he going with this? We want our kids to know that they're good enough. But the world's going to tell you that you are good enough. Reality can be whatever you want. Whatever feels good to you, that's what you need to do. Whatever feels good to you, that's what you can be. You are good enough. Exactly who you are. And the world wants you to be different and good enough, but at the same time, just like everybody else. The world is going to lie to you. Because the truth is, we are not good enough. We are not good enough, and we never will be. And that is the most freeing reality that we can ever face as Christians in this world. It will change your life. Romans chapter 3 verse 9 says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. None of us are good enough. I don't care what type of resume that you have. You are not good enough. None of us are. Since the time of Adam and Eve, sin crept into this world. And because of that, we are not good enough. To get to heaven, what is designed, what we have to have, is perfection. It's the only way that we should deserve to be able to go to heaven is perfection. We are not good enough. And I know what it's like to live that way of trying to be good enough. And it is hard to live that way. I grew up a preacher's kid, so... Most of my life was a lot of people coming up to me being like, you're such a good boy. You're going to go and do great things one day. I wanted to be good enough for my family. I wanted to be good enough for my dad. I wanted to be good enough for my teachers at school. I wanted to be good enough for my church family. And no matter how many times people told me you're going to be a good boy one day, I knew I wasn't. I knew I had sin in my closet. I knew I had things I was struggling with. I knew there were things I was doing I shouldn't be doing. But I sure was able to look like a good boy. Then, you know, I was starting to decide what I wanted to do one day. And I tried to avoid it. I really did. I wanted to maybe be a coach, but I just didn't want to deal with the parents. (laughs) I thought maybe I could be a nurse. But I didn't really want to study. And I really looked and I was like, there's not really much I'm good at. School-wise. I mean, I was a B kid. But there's no thing in school that I was like, that's what I want to do one day. That sounds awesome. 
but I don't want to be a minister like my dad, you know. But eventually, you know, it just decided that that was what I was being called to do, and it was what I was supposed to do. I didn't understand it, and I went, for, for, I went through school for almost two years, going to my classes, studying the Bible, leaving that place, and knowing in my head that I will never be good enough to be a youth minister. That I can't set an example for these kids. I'm a sinner. How are they supposed to look at me and see Jesus? How am I supposed to be good enough? How am I supposed to encourage these kids? And you might be feeling like that too in your life. How am I supposed to be good enough for my wife? How am I supposed to be good enough for my husband? How am I supposed to be good enough for my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my kids, my church family? We don't have to be. And that was the greatest realization that I ever came to in my life. And it was my junior year in January. And I just went through a really troubling time in my life. And I was freed. And I was able to understand that I don't have to be good enough because Jesus was good enough for me. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Going on. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, the world is going to tell you that you are good enough. The world is going to tell you that if it feels right, then it is fine. The world is going to tell you what you feel like you should be, that's what you should be. But I am not who I say I am. I'm who God says I am. And that is the truth. We're not good enough, but Jesus was good enough for you. And just thinking about this, you know, we have been given this information that we talked about today. That we should be weirdos, we should be countercultural because it's countercultural for us to realize and admit that we are wrong, that we are bad. It's not normal. It's a hard thing to do. It's to admit that we are wrong and we are bad and we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus. That is weird. That is weird. But there's a response. We have this information, but there is a response that is required from us. We know that we are supposed to be weirdos, and it is okay for us to be countercultural, but what is that response? We have this information, but we have to accept it. If you're sitting there in the crowd this morning and you're thinking, man, I know I'm not good enough, but I really need to try to get my life in order. I really need to be good, and then I'll accept Jesus and take the response. It's never going to happen. It is never going to happen. The response that we have is that we know we are bad. This is the essence of the gospel. We know we are bad. We know that we can't do it on our own. So we have to accept what Jesus did for us. It's already been done. We have to accept that. We have to realize we can't earn it from things we do. 
We can't earn it from works. We have to accept that we can't do it on our own. We have to accept Christ and be baptized in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We have to repent our sins. We have to confess our sins to one another. There is a response. And don't sit there right now and think, I am too bad to receive that. Because Jesus wants you exactly where you are right now. As a church here at Woodbury Church of Christ, as the young men and women of this nation, let's go into the world and be fully accepted that we are weirdos and be okay with it. We are all weirdos for Christ. Amen? Amen. That is all I have this morning. Um, I just want to say you're so loved. Jesus loves you so much. I'm so happy that all of you are here. This supernanza turned out better than I could ever have imagined. It was wonderful. And I, I loved every second of it. Flew by. These kids are all, these young men and women are awesome. And I encourage you to go and meet them. Ask them about their weekend. Ask them where they're from. Really pour into them. But if you need anything this morning, we are going you can go and you can speak with the ministry staff or the elders or anyone would be very happy to talk to you as we stand and we sing.